You have two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. You're saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your yeah. opinion. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. Good evening, everybody. Uh, very affectionate greeting uh, to all of you around the world as I hear myself echoing in uh, Joey Lynch's uh, phone because Joey Lynch is somewhere in uh, an airport, I think. I don't know where he is, so I've muted him. Yeah, he appears to be in an airport. Um, welcome to TNC. Uh, well, I thought it was just going to be a nice chat between me and Josh, the two illustrious best hosts of this podcast, uh, but Joey has crashed the date, as he tends to do many times. So, look, a warm, a very affectionate greeting to you, Josh Parrish, first. Uh, thank you, Nick Stoll. Uh, we've got an interloper in our midst. I was looking forward to a nice, you know, my dinner with Andre-style one-on-one, but unfortunately, uh, Joey's plane has landed on time. <laughs> it's the first time that Qantas hasn't had any problems this whole <laughs> year in terms of getting fun. Uh Joey, if you wouldn't mind, uh, let's see if your audio sounds better than when I tried to join the pod uh, from Frankfurt Airport. Tell us, how's it going? It's going very well. And in fact, my flight hasn't landed on time yet. In fact, the reason I'm calling in is because my flight is delayed and I haven't gotten on it yet and left Sydney Airport. So I'm calling you from Sydney Airport, not Melbourne Airport, in the this is just a very quick cameo to reinforce that I do, in fact, have ticker and I did rock up at the assigned time, but my flight's now boarding now, so I'm going to bail. But if you guys can keep going for an hour and a half, I'll call when I land. Look, Joey, <laughs> as you know, this is the espresso edition. I have the espresso cup in my hand to tell you that it's the espresso edition and that we won't be going in an hour and a half. Yep. But I have said previously, some may say, some may look at previous episodes and say that I've previously said that this pod will go under an hour and haven't quite kept my promise. Time management, a slight issue with this podcast. So potentially, Joey, there may be an opening uh, for you. Alan Riley says, make sure you clap the plane when it lands. I think, I think we should clap that comment. That, you know, That's a great comment. Uh, great. You if you la- understand mate, that Alan, reference. Alan, you landed that joke. Beautiful. You landed that joke. Yeah. Yeah, that's an, um, by the way, I, um, I, when I was in my uh, trip to Europe, clapped many a planes, uh, sometimes <laughs> solo, sometimes joined uh, by many other people. Frey gave me a few looks, but anyway. I'll Joey, you, make I'll sure you, you clap the plane. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what planes were not clapping. Uh, the bombers, what a disgrace. And with that, I'm leaving. Uh, AFL reference. That, that, that gets uh, we've got to, we've got to kick him off the stream if he makes an no. AFL reference. That's the rule. Oh, Josh, if it's just me and you, this is... This is the best. This is the most beautiful TNC, the most pure. We won't do any wrestling references because um, neither of us will understand them. And we won't do any AFL references because uh, I didn't even realize that it was the finals today until Twitter started going nuts about it. It's, it's not um, the finals. It's the, oh, it's not? <laughs> it's <laughs> the last game before the final. It doesn't matter. Oh, Who gives you gotcha. rats? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Already this pot is off to a better start. As people are saying in the comments, uh, Lazar 11, wow, bang on time. FB Skippy, what the fuck? It's actually 7.30 and it's starting. Run the memes, slandering us. Every opportunity he gets, always having to go at us about it not being at 7.30. You think we can't deliver? We can deliver, my friends. Uh, but yes, we're here at 7.30. And I always say, if, if you're not going to do a good job, at least show up on time. And that's possibly <laughs> what's going to happen with me tonight. 
So <laughs> it's off season, you know, we're doing our best, but Josh, uh, we oh, look early comment coming in D 9995 isn't using a real name because he's already throwing something out. You shout out to Wait, Josh what? for ignoring me at Arden Street this week after I said, Hey, man, I love the TNC pod. Nothing just blanked me. Josh, confirm or deny, were you at Arden Street this week? I, I was, I was, oh, and I obviously oh, didn't he hear thinks that. He's too big, he thinks he's too big for his boots. He does no, one commentary gig not. on I would have, I would have loved to have a conversation about. <laughs> TNC at Arden Street because I am I for for the record I have to go to and film AFL presses for my my day job uh, sometimes and um, I am not I'm not in the cool in group with all the AFL journos who have their chats and so forth like us cameraman we are invisible we are absolutely yeah. invisible to the rest of the media we're just basically just slabs of meat that hold the yeah. equipment so I I would have been like. Yeah, as long as the press conference hadn't started yet, pretty bored. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I would have Gee. loved to have a convo. Maybe my maybe my hearing's going. That's actually a real worry. <laughs> D nine hundred ninety five. Make your way up to Sydney. Make your way up to uh, Denison Street. Uh, and if you say, "Hey man, love the TNC pod," I'll say, "Thanks, bro. Have a great day." And keep it moving. But you know that's a bit more than Josh will give you. Um, no, but shout out <laughs> anyone who's uh, enjoying this. But Josh, I don't know. It seems I did want to give you a lot of praise uh, before we started, but I'm worried that the praise might go to your head because this week you did, in fact, commentate, make a kind of commentary debut for Paramount Plus. You've done a lot uh, in MPL Victoria world. We've seen a lot of clips uh, kind of come out of MPL TV and stuff, a lot of great moments that you yourself commentated on. But your first time doing the Australia Cup. Uh, how was your experience? Tell us about it. Because it, for me, it was really cool to hear you, and I thought you did a really good job. Oh, it was, it was awesome. Like, um, firstly, like, thank you to everyone who like sent me nice messages and stuff. Um, I was completely overwhelmed this week by the support of the, uh, of the football community. It's been really, really, really nice. Um, but yeah, the, the actual day, um, was fantastic. I mean, working, working with Archie Thompson, um, he's pretty much exactly the same person on and off camera. Like it's not some character or persona that he puts on. He just really is that happy go lucky guy all of the time. Um, and so it was actually really good to work with someone who has that like level of, um, good humor in that situation where you're doing your first big game. It really actually helped settle my nerves beforehand because he was just such, is such a cheery mood despite the horrendous weather. Like I know Sydney boy over here is going to rub it in, but it was quite literally howling tornado style winds oh. and sideways rain. <laughs> So during the penalty shootout, when they put the ball on the spot and then the ball would refuse to stop and it was just moving and the ref was looking at the player like, mate, I don't know what you want me to do. Like, I can't stop the winds. Like, that was, if you guys ever, ever, ever say anything about Melbourne being the best city, I'm just going to show that clip on loop. Oh my God, it looked horrendous to be there. It was, um, I was so glad that we weren't set up on the scaffold on the opposite side, which is usually the position for most MPL games I do when I am call Hume City games. Um, unfortunately, like we, we were in the grandstand, which was good because we were a bit more sheltered from the weather. Uh, and there's kind of this, this square, like this, um, I guess a tiny little balcony, I guess you call it at the top of the grandstand where they had two cameras there. And usually at an MPL game, cause it's a one camera show, you can squeeze in alongside the cameraman in that position if the weather's terrible, but because they had multiple cameras set up there, no space for us. And they had way more equipment cause they're doing replays and all this stuff on site. So we were all the way over on the right hand side of the grandstand 
Uh, so everything left of screen was a very, very long way away. Um, so occasionally I had to cover for the fact that I couldn't work out like who on earth had the ball, um, yeah. you know, uh, but I, I feel like I, I feel like I've pulled it off. Um, the replay screen that we had was going flying in the wind, like every five minutes. So I had to catch it quite a few times. Um, but you know, it was, it was an experience that's for sure with the, with the elements, uh, but the magic of the cup, of- baby. Yeah, but the funniest part of the whole night was the fact that we were in amongst the supporters because we were in the grandstand and I'm with Archie Thompson and I don't get bothered by members of the public very often, you know, unless I'm at Arden Street, of course. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and then you've got no time for yeah, no D995, who, by the way, has confirmed I was sitting by the front door charging my phone. If you Again, I am so, so sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize. Um, but... Uh, I, people were coming up to Archie during the live broadcast and asking him for selfies and autographs. <laughs> I'm like, guys, I'm, we're, we're kind of in the middle of something here. Um, so that was a bit of an issue in the first half because Archie is like so accommodating and so nice. Yeah. He's, like, He's like, yeah, oh, go for oh, it. It'd be fine. Oh, what do I do? Because <laughs> uh, he really didn't want to let anyone down. So um, mm. no, nah, it, was, it, was, it was great fun. Um, I was super lucky that I got such a dramatic game. There were some great games that night. Maybe the one of the best overall nights in cup history in terms of three games going to extra time, two games going to penalties, and one of them being an eight-goal thriller um, over at Oakley. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome experience to be involved in it. And I got to interview Charlie Austin afterwards, who's uh, one of the, I would say, best interviews in the A-League. Like, he's such good talent. Seemed like, so just on Charlie Austin, right? I'll be honest with you. I had my doubts about him when he came to the A. Like, I kind of thought journeyman, English striker, going to Brisbane Raw, you know, famed for their Brexit FC that they had a few years ago. I just thought, oh, this is this is going to suck. This is just going to be annoying. He's been great. He's like, in terms of like, I loved him when he took the penalty and then he kind of wound up the crowd by like playing the villain like that. That to me uh, was so much fun. Uh, and then on, on top of that, it was, you know, he did an interview, I think afterwards. And, and I think he did it with you and you, he was saying that he, I was, you were saying on Twitter that he went to the change rooms and met all the Avondale players as well. And he seems like a really good guy. So it's cool. I think that how much Charlie Austin has, embraced Australia and embraced his role as a big name, but not a, you know, he's not a Del Piero or anything. Um, but, you know, he he knows that he has a bit of notoriety, has a bit of experience in the game and that, you know, the Avondale players probably really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because you had the contrast between him, I guess, knowing his role as um, in, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say it, wrestling parlance, the heel in that situation <laughs> and playing it playing it up to the crowd. You saw when he took his penalty, he put it straight down the middle and then he's turning to the supporters and giving it the big ones and prompting all the boos and that uh, because he realizes it's an entertainment business and he's there mm. to not just to score goals, but also, you know, be a character. But then yeah. when you get off the pitch, and you hear that he went to the Avondale change rooms and said, you know, boys, the better team lost. You played us off the park. You were fantastic tonight. Keep going. You're an awesome team. You know, that shows the class of the guy as well. So I think it's a, it was a good blend. And, um, yeah, he uh, he actually confirmed to me in the post-match interview that 
he didn't mean to go down the middle and the penalty spot had a massive divot in it from <laughs> trying to keep the ball. Uh, I think part of it, it was already kind of torn up, but you, they were trying to keep the ball still. So they were like almost burying it in the grass. So he mishit the penalty. He didn't mean to go straight down the middle at all, but of course played it off like he meant it. Yeah, I think it was like, you know, for you kind of doing year commentary there, but it was kind of the perfect, like, Australia Cup game. Now, obviously, we'd love to have seen the upset. But like you say, you know, you had kind of – Brisbane obviously weren't great, but Danzaki, like a moment of brilliance mm. uh, that really kind of made you think like, oh, that's why these guys are at the A-League level. But then you had the drama and the kind of – and the conditions of what it's like to play, I guess, in the NPL game. How did, how did you see kind of the overall game and what was your kind of big takeaway from that? Um, a couple of big takeaways. Uh, one is that you don't have to park the bus to be competitive um, against these A-League teams. Uh, Avondale don't change their approach for anybody. Zoran Markovsky is the most attacking coach in the NPL. Uh, he's a zealot in that regard. Like he's never going to... Doesn't, he could be playing Real Madrid tomorrow and he still would try and have a go. That's just, that's just who he is. That's who the team is. Um, so they were playing out from the back and they almost you know, shot themselves in the foot a couple of times in the first 10 minutes with giveaways, but they they didn't let that dissuade them from their style. So they were able to be themselves and actually impose themselves on the game, um, which I think was a great uh, great lesson for, for other clubs who might think, oh, we're up against the A-League teams. We've got to be cautious and stick numbers behind the ball, which can be a good underdog strategy as well, but you've got to play to, the, play to your strengths. Um, for Brisbane, they look a little bit, underprepared for the season. I know it's a few weeks away. Um, and yeah, we're very happy to have Austin in the league. As you say, Dan Zaki is, is a fantastic player. We know that. Um, and there's a couple of boys who's, who, who've looked promising. You know, Henry Hoare has been really good coming off the bench, etc., and so on. Uh, Hua, sorry. Um, yeah, I was going to, I, when I saw he scored and I saw the way he commentated, I thought, oh, he must be thinking in that moment in his head, he must be thinking, oh, I scored. <laughs> Uh, it did. It did cross my mind, but I, I felt that was not the time for a TNC no. in joke. Um, no. But they they really scraped by. They really were outplayed, and that doesn't happen that often. Um, mm. in, when there's a semi pro team taking on a professional team, so yeah, we've seen uh, especially with part. all of the off field stuff going on around Brisbane Roar at the yeah. moment, which we'll get into later. Yeah. It doesn't bode terribly well for Brisbane Roar's overall season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, I mean, if you kind of look at the team, like, there is something to like about the squad, I think. Uh, you know, you've got Charlie Austin, like you say. Man, I'm a massive Danzaki fan. I thought he was great uh, when he was in the A-League. Uh, Akbari, you know, is, is a very promising player. Um, you know, Ivanovic, th- there's some players there. Maybe there's not enough depth there. And it'd be interesting to see if they strengthen kind of closer. Oh, to sorry, you mentioned Ivanovic and it just brought yeah. up like one of Archie's observations actually on co-commentary that stuck with me from that night is that Ivanovic looks like he has no confidence at all. Mm. There mm. were there were two instances where the ball was worked out to him in a bit of space, one-on-one with his fullback, and he clearly thought about taking on the player and then turned and then played it back. And he did it twice in the space of less than a minute, and Archie was almost like about to throw his headset off. Like he couldn't believe yeah. it. Um, and then later on when he was sort of playing on instinct and it was, he didn't quite have as much time to make a decision. Ivanovic actually did take on a player and he beat him superbly. 
So just to see a young player with that little confidence when he's got actually so much ability is actually really concerning. And I, I hope Ivanovic can find that confidence to actually reach his potential because we know he has it. You know, And there's a few players in that category at, at Brisbane at the moment, I think. Well, it's funny. Like, There's so many players like in Australian football who you think if you had a bit more confidence, what a player you would be because in flashes there's talent. But also you think about the environments that these players are in. Uh, you know, sometimes I think if the if the coach or whatever the system is so worried about you making a mistake, losing the ball, especially in an attacking opportunity, you know, how many times do you even hear it from the crowd where there's a good counter attack on or something, and then the player tries to dribble past the player, loses the ball, and then you just hear the whole crowd go, oh, and and you can feel that everyone, you know, the, the other players, the coach, everyone can, and it just kills the player. But you need to, I think, encourage those players to take the risks because you know, Messi loses the ball, but eventually he goes past and scores. So I don't know. It's an interesting one. But yeah, we should give a shout out to Avondale as Blake Hampton uh, has done via YouTube. Box office Avondale. Oh, they're eighth in MPL Victoria. You obviously know it better than me. Why have they, I guess, struggled a bit in MPL Victoria, but done well here in the cup? Yeah, they, they finished seventh today just outside finals. They actually lost to South Melbourne. Um, so their season's over now. Um yeah. Uh, but South Melbourne, top of the league. So uh, the reason that they've been struggling this season has been largely due to injuries. Um, they, along with Hume City, had to wait to play the cup final last year because of COVID lockdowns and things, and they didn't end up playing it till November. So they had on and off training for a much longer time, and they didn't get an off season, really, because they had to start preseason pretty soon after that uh, for 2022. And you look at where both those teams finished and Avondale was on top of the league when the season was suspended in 2021 and Hume City was about sixth-ish. I think they were mid-table. And now this season, both those sides have dropped by about four, five, six places. Hume just avoiding relegation and Avondale just missing the finals. So I think there's a common theme there. The two, two teams that made the Doherty Cup final have just been ravaged by injury because of the COVID-enforced delays and then this uh, this game in November that they still had to be fit and prepared for. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate because they've got so much talent in that uh, that group. Like, they're obviously one of the most ambitious and one of the most high, like the highest spending team uh, in MPL Victoria. Um, and they also have the most ambitious kind of game plan. So it's a bit of a shame to see them, see them miss finals. But then you see a one-off game where they do have some of their players back and it all comes together for them. You see the ceiling. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's speaking of Brisbane Raw, uh, kind of it's the big topic of the moment. And D995 has brought up. And by the way, as it's just me and Josh tonight, your comments are more important than ever. Yes. All right. We rely on them. You need to stimulate the conversation. You are the third co-host today, a collective co-host. So get in there, get as many comments as possible and, and keep this going. It, your job is to make this show last beyond an hour. Because uh, me and Josh run out of things to say. There's just two of us. It might run out. So make sure you get push it past now. D995 asks, or first of all, D995, tell me how you want me to say it. 995, 9995. He's asking in a serious question WTF is going on with Corey Brown and Brisbane. PFA is involved as well. Looks like a serious situation. A lot of people are looking forward to uh, Vince Regari being on the show uh, today. Uh, no Regari, no party. Congrats against Josh. Um, yeah, so basically Vince couldn't be here, uh, but we're going to have him in article form. So I'm going to share his article that he wrote because I think this is the best way because 
you have to remember this is a kind of quite a difficult uh mm scenario for us to talk about so we'll kind of just roll through uh vince's article and and we'll we'll talk about the things we can talk about and we won't speculate on the things we can't speculate uh about but this is in the public domain so we'll just kind of go through it vince regard a feud has erupted between brisbane raw and the a-league's players union over an attempt to sack defender Corey brown over alleged drug use one of a number of serious legal battles the club is fighting that could force action against the in, their indonesian owner brown a longtime club stalwart has never who has never failed a drug test is fighting against the termination of his three-year contract and denies all allegations made against him by the raw who are also under investigation for an alleged job keeper rort and are at risk of being thrown out of queensland's mpl competitions due to unpaid debts with the state governing body firstly what a sentence that is like just just like brisbane rules monday morning tomorrow they're getting in and they're like all right we're going to sort this Corey brown situation <laughs> job keeper did we rot the system uh what's happening with our npl teams oh we haven't paid are oh, we gonna get thrown out mm, okay i might have a coffee and then i'll try and sort some of this stuff out like josh this is what happened to brisbane raw like um I think if you talk to most Brisbane Raw fans, you'd say the club has been kind of slowly circling the drain uh, ever since the Bakaries took over. Um, you, you you see where they were under, you know, the Ange Postacoglu years and the glorious heights where they were, the standard setters in the A-League. Um, and um, now, you know, these are all allegations and things, of course, but... Um, it's a laundry list of items, as outlined in this uh, in in Vince Rigari's article, uh, that don't paint a particularly flattering picture of this operation and how professional it really is. It, they, mm. If uh, if everything in this article, all the um, you know, is accurate, and I'm sure, like you know, Vince does his does his homework, of course. Um, it, it seems like they're they're cowboys who think they're above the rules. Um, that's the impression that you get from the outside reading this laundry list of stuff that they have apparently done wrong. Um, I mean, there is a crucial line there. I think uh, Brown has never failed a drug test. So supposedly they've dismissed him for a drug issue. I guess at a certain point, if you like, this is just all contracts in Australia. If you, if you are dismissing someone, you have to have valid reasons to dismiss them. And, if you claim that they have a drug issue, you have to present some evidence for that. And it can't just be like, well, I think you do or whatever. Like I, I, this is why, you know, drug tests exist in, in professional sports. So I, I wonder kind of, I, I just don't understand kind of what Brisbane Raw thinks the leg that they have to stand on uh, basically. Um well, I'll maybe kinda... they maybe they think they think they have maybe they think they have other proof of this. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, but we're not privy to all of this, no. of course. No. So we don't we don't know whether they have proof or not, and that's probably like the entire matter that's before the dispute resolution chamber at the moment and um what the PFA is, is fighting on Corey Brown's behalf. Yeah, well, I'll just jump a bit uh, forward. So basically, the PFA has become involved. Uh, this is PFA co-chief executive Bo Bush. He said, as the club is aware, Corey has initiated judicial proceedings to dispute Brisbane Royal's termination of his contract. As a consequence of this legal action, Corey's contract remains on foot until final determination is made. This is something the club deliberately or otherwise is failing uh, to understand. As the club continues to operate well below the expected standards of a professional football club, the PFA's primary focus remains 
means on protecting Corey's well-being, something the club seems to have little regard for. Um, the Raw has since released a second statement, rejecting the PFA statement, confirming Brown was terminated for serious misconduct and inviting Bush to disclose his involvement in this investigation and subsequent termination process and to publicly state the PFA's position on the issues that gave the club no option but to terminate Brown's contract for senior misconduct. Um, you know, basically, since then, uh, we've seen... Um, uh, a lot of the players uh, have come out in support of Bo Bush. Um, it, it's quite rare for a club to go after the PFA's, you know, co-chief executive uh, in a statement uh, for this issue. So it, it's interesting to see kind of how this will play out. But it struck me how personal that seemed. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever about the factual issues that we can't establish here on this podcast, otherwise we would be the dispute resolution chamber. You can we can state our opinions about how the tone of this public communication and the mm. strategy that Brisbane have used, and it comes across as bullying. It really does. It comes across as trying to intimidate, and that really rubs me up the wrong way. Like it's it's just not good enough. It also kind of comes across to me as people who maybe don't have experience in the or aren't making the smartest decisions. I can't imagine a lawyer is advising Brisbane Raw and said, you know, it'd be great. Put out a statement where you go personally after um, a PFA chief executive. That will really, you know, help resolve this situation in our favor. It, it does seem to me like, again, like you're playing by your own rules. It's interesting. Cowboy, think, cowboys shooting from the hip. That's the impression that you get with all yeah. this stuff. Um, Stephen Krylon says, I would have gone to the reading out Rugari podcast if I knew this was the deal. Uh, Geraldo, who, uh, is up in Brisbane. So proud of this club. Uh, Stephen again, undefeated at being defeated in court. Come on, Brisbane. Uh, it's interesting because this isn't the first, uh, issue that they've had, uh, kind of later in the article, Vince went through it all and, and, and you think, okay, they were amazing kind of 2000 and yet. Yeah, 11 to 14, there was the um, uh, the Ange Postacoglu era, and then there was the Mike, uh, Mike Mulvey era where they won a championship as well. Um, but we kind of go through, you know, what's been happening uh, at the Raw over the last couple of years. The Raw, this is from Vince's article, the Raw has lived a nomadic existence after falling out with two landlords of their previous training facilities, the Queensland Rugby Union and Logan City Council over unpaid rent and utility bills. My understanding is they now train on the Gold Coast. Yes, um, uh, that's something that um, I learned on Wednesday night actually talking to people before the game is nearly all of their squad lives on the Gold Coast now and they train at Metricon, so... Yeah, because that, which and then they play. Well, they like play they most of their games big... in Redcliffe, which yeah, is north it's of crazy. Brisbane. And um, you know, it seems to me that like uh, they. I remember with, with the Raw's training ground stuff, they had an issue whereby it seemed to be that the pitch that they've been training on was way too hard, and they had all these soft tissue injuries. And then they moved out to somewhere near. I don't know. Brisbane geography, I apologize if I get this wrong, but like the West, like Logan or wherever it was, uh, yep. which was supposed to be a, a much better, newer facility. And uh, this is supposed to be this big turnaround in, um, you know, the Raw's injury management and training and all that stuff. And now they apparently <laughs> haven't paid the rent, allegedly haven't paid the rent. And they've moved to the Gold Coast. Like, it's crazy. 
it, it is weird when uh, A-League clubs start acting like my friends when they were 19 years old and struggling to pay uh, <laughs> rent and then just moving to other places and being like, ah, yeah, sorry, whatever you're going to do. Um, last year, former Socceroo Brett Holman was forced had to force the club to cough up over $400,000 in withheld insurance money after suffering a career-ending injury while playing for the Raw against Perth Glory in 2018. Ex-coach Robbie Fowler also took the club to FIFA and won a six-figure payout for unfair dismissal when he and then assistant Tony Grant were sacked in the mid to 2020. Like it's pretty amazing. How, like <laughs> Fowler was a pretty bad coach for the raw and you still managed to have to pay him out because you unfairly dismissed him. Like there was probably grounds for dismissal, like just being, poor, yeah, but... I think, um, well, I mean, if you look at their position on the table under Fowler, yeah. it wasn't that bad. The style of football was genuinely horrible yeah. and awful. I and think they maybe, maybe it was they because he did an interview. Remember, yeah. wasn't there some like interview involved or something? Oh, uh, because he was there was COVID stuff, and then he was in the UK, and there was yeah. claims about whether he was going to come back or not, and all this stuff. Um, but maybe they didn't have clear enough like outlines of what the you know the KPIs were, and that yeah. therefore, it, um, and you look at the like the FIFA dispute resolution process. Fowler wouldn't be the first foreign coach to take an a, an Australian club to that. And then mm. win a payout. Like that's yeah. Um, that's a pretty powerful um option that specifically foreign coaches have uh, when yeah. they're here. I remember Chris Taylor got a payout from uh, from South Melbourne as well. So, um, I guess they have a little bit more leverage in that regard than than local coaches, but still. Mm. Uh, in 2015, midfielder Luke Braddon was able to have his contract with the club terminated due to over a year's worth of unpaid superannuation and decision reached by FA's independent arbitrator. Queensland has recently overtaken Victoria as the state with the second biggest number of grassroots participants behind only New South Wales, underlining the strategic importance for football that that region is positively represented at the professional uh, level. It is like... What are they doing up there? Like, do they even like owning this football team? Like, you're not improving it. You're just creating headache after headache for yourselves. Like, Blake Hampton raises the question uh, via YouTube. Is there a way for the FA or the A-Leagues to strip the backeries of their license? Why do they even bother owning it? Like, genuinely to me, I think you can chart, and I'm not saying this is an exact correlation, but you can chart kind of the A-Leagues decline in terms of, you know, interest and everything all the issues that we're having in the A-League with the decline of Brisbane Roar a little bit. Brisbane is a massive market and, you know, it's a one club town with I think it's two, three million people in the city. It should be an incredibly successful club. As you say, there's heaps of people in Queensland playing football. Uh, it's been a disaster, this ownership. It has been. And, uh, you know, clearly they don't have the best interests of Australian football or the club or the people, the supporters or the players at heart when they're running it. That's the, that you can tell that from their actions. Um, uh, speaking of like ways to actually sanction them, there are ways that football Australia can get involved and heavily sanction the club. If they're found to have breached the, uh, I guess, club licensing guidelines and so forth like that. So, you know, this it, this could end up with um, Football Australia stepping in and, and stripping them of their license. It could happen. And it could force, um, you know, the A-Leagues, the APL, to actually take over the running of the club as they have with Newcastle Jets, which are still still owner, uh, ownerless. So, um, yeah, that might be where this is going eventually. Um, we'll see. But uh, it doesn't it, – it's not pretty, like – I genuinely think you would be better off using some of that Silver Lake money 
to buy out the backeries, then then get in a big name marquee. Like I don't know what the backeries want for Brisbane because I don't know actually even what you're selling. There's no stadium, there's no training ground. You're selling what a, a, the club colours, the the shirts, the the numbers that fall off. I, I, I just don't know. Uh, <laughs> Heraldo uh, makes a good point. Uh, 2011, 2014 standard setters on the field only. Yeah, they still they still had a lot of issues kind of off the field. I think. And, you know, it shows how much Ange was doing, uh, that he was able to be successful. I did say before that the comments were kind of a third co-host, and Alan Riley has really embodied that uh, by plugging his own work. Uh, A-Legs and Beyond wrote a really good article <laughs> for uh, ALWU, Alan's Cheap Plugs, on how Brisbane are finally starting to Are we going to go through his article workers. paragraph by paragraph as well? Is <laughs> well, that going to be our next segment? <laughs> Alan, send the link. Um, Hirata also says, uh, backeries being backeries. Uh, Gerardo makes another point, uh, falling out with Logan city council became particularly uh, ironic and infuriating. Now that Logan lightning, my local club might be relegated from MPL one Queensland department finishing above the raw Academy side, uh, you know, for a while there, the Queensland football was producing a lot of kind of quality players, you know, Robbie Cruz came out of that system. Uh, Mitch Nichols came out of that system. Michael Zullo. Um, I'm trying to think else who was kind of uh, in that era, but I think Tommy you know, was in that era as well. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it is a real shame. And to me, I just look at it and I think there's so much potential with the raw, but there's so much that's gone wrong over the past years that i'm not surprised that their crowds are dwindling that their interest is dwindling I, I remember even seeing like a video of um a raw fan who was like that's it i'm sick of this uh, you know this is my last time at Redcliffe or whatever so you know it, it's just a sad situation regardless of this individual incident with Corey brown we don't know how that will be resolved and we don't know the particulars of it so we can't comment on it too much but overall the backery's ownership of brisbane has been a complete and utter disaster. And you cannot even understand what joy they get out of it. They can't be making money out of it, surely. It doesn't seem like this is a money-making operation. They can't be getting any joy because they don't seem to be like, you know, oh, we want to take this club to the next level and, you know, it's been our dream. Why even own it? Like, what is the purpose? I, I just don't get it. I mean, no. you know, you've you've got extra pay from uh, – Paramount Plus doing a commentary gig. Do you want to stump up and put the cash in TNC? Should we put our money together and buy Brisbane Raw? I don't know if that would then be a conflict of interest for the podcast. Um, and then, you know. Look, it wouldn't be the first time that uh, a media <laughs> person in Australian football media had an interest in a football team. Um, but look, we do conflicts of interest. Well, you know, we'll just put a little disclaimer down the bottom and we'll call them box office Raw and it'll be all good. Yeah, I mean... Football Australia over the years have not shown much interest in uh, fan ownership. Um, mm. You look, go all the way back to North Queensland Fury, where that was the the plan to save the Fury and keep them in the A League, and basically Football Australia said no. Uh, but I wonder whether going forward we need to start establishing some kind of mechanism for this, um, so that these situations can't happen, mm. because. You know, it's, yeah, because one bad owner can like one. You can replace one bad owner with another bad owner. Like, there's no guarantee if they if the backeries to sell, and every time kind of an A League, a new 
prospective A League owner is mm. mentioned, it's always you're always like, oh, it's a consortium that no one actually knows if they exist, and you know, like like who are these people? Uh, because this is such a this is such an important um, this is such an important place in the Australian football ecosystem because yeah. it's Queensland's only A League team. Mm. And now our entire youth development strategy is built around A-League Academy size. Yeah. So you know, now that we're not really going down the route of centers of excellence and all that kind of thing, and uh, we're entrusting youth development essentially to the A-League Academy size. And yes, the MPL clubs and community clubs play a huge role in that as well, but often they're feeding players to the A-League programs. You know, where do, where do Brisbane uh, or, or Queensland-based young aspiring footballers go and play play now? Like, I don't know where they should go because, you know, Warren Moon is a is a guy I have a hell of a lot of time for and I think he's doing the best that he can in the situation. Um, if people remember, like, the, I think it was the FNR A-League preview last season that you might have been on, Stoll. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I went huge on Brisbane Raw and were unfortunately, uh, I was unfortunately way, way, way off the mark because I just because I rate Warren Moon so highly, but... How can you how can you work under these conditions? How can you get the best mm. results? Um, and and it, it, it's my point being is that because we don't have promotion and relegation, there's no natural mechanism for clubs that aren't operating properly to be replaced by ones that are. And because yeah. our youth development is now entrusted to A-League clubs, this becomes like a pressing priority. Because how like how how long before um, the raw stop attracting these sorts of players? Um, or we start losing players to the sport or to other clubs. Like, um, it, it really struck me that in uh, Vince's article, only a PFA survey found only 34% of Brisbane Raw players would recommend the club to others, which is <laughs> that's, like, I mean, that's, that's, that's as clear bad. an indication right. as any of the, is it this situation. And this I think we just lost your management. mind, uh, Joshua. I can't. Here. But uh, I'll just quickly bring up some comments. Uh, James Maloney, uh, he says, have to have fans to have fan ownership. And at this rate, Brisbane's are going. Yeah, I mean, that's also the thing. Like fan ownership, you think, oh, it's a massive club and the fans can own it. Own it. But uh, Geraldo also says, FA stepping in to remove backeries would require them to care more about football in Brisbane than they historically have. Um, look, keep your comments coming in because, uh, you know, we might not... <laughs> Have Josh's mic. I'm not sure if you're still there, Josh. Oh, can you, I cannot can you hear, hear me? you still. Oh, I think I, it might be my headphones. I think your headphones might be cooked. Let us know in the comments if you can still hear me and it's if it's just Nick's toll. <laughs> hey, um, look, we might be having tech issues, but we're not having issues uh, like Nick DeBarno, which Lockie Flanagan has dubbed Nick Disappeared, and Alan Riley has chimed in with Nick Departed, and then Lockie Flanagan has one-upped him again. Nick dropped off. Give us your Nick DeBarno-based uh, puns. And uh, Lockie, uh, feel free to actually come on the show. I don't know if someone can send you the link. Mm. Uh, it's in one of the chats. Um, but yeah, if you're watching, great to have you on because Lockie also made his uh, Paramount Plus commentary debut in the Australia Cup, which uh, I thought was really amazing. Uh, Toros says uh, TNC silent movie and Nicholas Webster undermines me and says, we can hear Josh. So clearly it's just me that's having issues. Um, should we move on uh, from, well, sh- should we go back onto the Australia Cup and just kind of quickly go through the other results? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, so the kind of, Wellington Phoenix uh, beating Melbourne City was an interesting one. I only kind of caught the highlights of this, but Melbourne City, are they – was there pressure now on Kisnorbo? It doesn't seem like 
it seemed like it was going so well a few years ago, and now it seems like it's just kind of trailing off. Yeah, um, look, their their results have been too good for his job mm. to be in any jeopardy. I mean, yeah. he's he's won the title, he's delivered a hell of a lot. Um, well, you know, whatever your opinions are of his his coaching, um, that you can't really argue with the results. Uh, it's been pretty good, and yes, we hold. Melbourne City to a higher standard than some other clubs because they have certain advantages in terms of facilities and budget and so forth. Um, uh, so they, they've always always got a great squad. Um, I think they are lacking in midfield. Uh, Metcalf's departure uh, leaves another another hole for them. Um, they signed Thomas Lamb the other day, who I don't know if he's going to play centre back or holding midfield. He might be. Um, he he might jump into that that number six role which he's played before and he from his cv looks good we never know with some of these players because i'm not going to claim to have seen much of him but he was part of finland's squad for the euros so you know that's that's pretty significant even if he didn't get on the park so that's um yeah that i, I think they are lacking depth in certain positions but there's also the idea that they've been playing the same way for a little while now and our team's going to start figuring them out and can Patrick Kisnorbo come up with a game plan that's not based on what Eric Mombarts did as his predecessor. Um, as, um, as Nick continues to be unable to hear me, I think. No, no, I heard all that. That was, that was really good. Uh, Jack Pentelios uh, says, Kisnorbo on Fraud Watch. I do love whenever someone gets put on Fraud Watch, rightly or wrongly. It's just an interesting time in anyone's career when they get put on Fraud Watch. Some of the best have been put on Fraud Watch. Ronaldo Phenomeno at one stage was put on Fraud Watch probably around his second knee injury. And then he came back in the 2002 World Cup and absolutely smoked all the haters. So there's still a chance if you are put on fraud watch. Don't don't fear. It's just just a test for you. Um, Alan Riley uh, sings, Jukic was right. Jukic was right. City don't function. Jukic was right. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, for I mean, you know, for Wellington, good result uh, for them to get through kind of two, uh, you know, this later stage of the competition. Uh, would be amazing for a team not from Australia to win the inaugural Australia Cup. Like, there's a part of me that always roots for chaos. And I think <laughs> Wellington have become a team now that I would love to see them just win. the Like, just to explain that to people all around the world. It's like, who won? The other team from New Zealand. Um, Jack Pantelios, George Blackwood was born on Ford Watch. I mean... Look, no, I, I have to push back against this. He's a secret centre-back. We've covered this on the show before. He's actually a central defender. He just doesn't know it yet. Georgie, yeah. this is the way to save your career. I mean, that's true. That's true. Maybe maybe the, maybe the your coaches should be on Freud Watch because they haven't identified the fact that you're a centre-back. <laughs> should we talk about um, Adelaide United and their 2-2 draw uh, with Adelaide City, which Geraldo has made a good point. Massive shout-out to Teo plugging TNC on the Paramount broadcast for Adelaide City United game. Good uh, good evening if you're tuning in for the first time and you're wondering why was he plugging a podcast where two guys can't work out how headphones and microphones seem to <laughs> work. Um, but 2-2, two, two, like great night. I know they didn't get through, but great night for Adelaide United, wouldn't you say? Ah, um, for Adelaide City, you mean? Sorry. Um, yeah, Adelaide City. Sorry. I mean, good night for Adelaide United. Yeah, well, they did get I through. Think it was but... just, I think it was just a good night for football in Adelaide. It was a good occasion. Um, as Teo kind of explained on the show uh, last week, these clubs actually have quite a fondness for each other and there's so much crossover between the two teams. Um, it wasn't really a rivalry game uh, as such. They, you know, they were bigging up as the Adelaide Derby, but really it was just, you know, um, 
a nice uh, celebration of football in, in South Australia. And it was a cracking game. Um, some great goals, especially that uh, left-footed strike from uh, Zach Waters, uh, where Teo ended up comparing him to Roberto Carlos in the goal wrap, which I thought was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but also, I think we maybe have to uh, admit, um, I certainly have to admit, I don't know if you slammed as well, but I, I might have to admit defeat on the Ibasuki front. I think he actually is good. And yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I'm willing good. to come out and say that. I was wrong about Ubisuki. He looked like a big lumbering oaf when he arrived. He's actually a lot more than that. And yeah. I think he, he actually really helps Adelaide because um, I think they have still major issues with their midfield. But having a striker who can hold up the ball like Ibasuki can um, is, is massively uh, helpful to, to kind of bail a team out when they can't you know, progress the ball in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our co-host for helping us, Jack Bentelios, says Zach Clough looked a lot better than he did when he first arrived. Uh, Alan Riley kind of echoes that. Clough looked good against City and Newey. Um, and then similar Alan theme Riley- to uh, maybe judging players a little bit too early off to smaller sample size, especially foreigners arriving yep. in Australia and the A League yeah. for the first time. And you know the language barrier and all and all the things that they have to uh, Zach Cloth with the language barrier. <laughs> oh, I meant Ibasuki, but <laughs> potentially as well. You know, I mean Adelaide. You know, it's a funny accent. Uh, Alan Riley, who's an Adelaide United fan, he says we were so lucky to get through. City were all over us, and cautious Carl. I believe you dubbed him Josh the Human Handbrake. No, yeah, that that was that was my nickname for Carl yeah. Carl Viet. Whose name Carl, I've been saying wrong for several years. <laughs> Carl Carl Viet, uh, he brought on one day at one nil up. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like it's interesting you talking about Avondale and, and how much kind of you respect them for the way that they kind of play the same way always. There's so many coaches in the A League that just I find are frustratingly risk averse. Like so many coaches, you just you feel the fear in them as they coach in the decisions that they make. Um, you know, it, it's odd to bring up your kind of defensive midfielder when you're one nil up against a semi-professional side. Um, Alan Riley says, Ibasuki on baller watch, Yukich and Barnaby Josh on forward watch. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why Ante hasn't come on the show again. Maybe he, he can't handle the fact that Ibasuki might be a decent player. And, you know, he never wants, Josh, you're the bigger man. You you know, you've done your stint in North Queensland. You, you know what politics is about. You know you can admit defeat. Ante, mm, I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's still raging against it. He still yeah. still can't can't accept that uh, Hiroki Ibasuki, who scored a ridiculous overhead kick in the in the last round as well, um, yeah. is, might, might actually be a baller, um, you know. Um, let's have a look at the fixtures uh, that are coming up in the quarterfinal stage because uh, there's some good ones. Um, so we've got Peninsula Power versus Sydney United, which means uh, we are going to have a MPL team through to the semifinals. You know, that's previously happened, but it's because the draw was basically rigged uh, in their favour. So, you know, that's, that's a, I think, a really nice moment. And Sydney United had that kind of epic uh, penalty shootout victory Um over Western United. So, you know, amazing. That, that's Sydney moment. United, a team that's had a pretty terrible MPL mm. New South Wales season, to get to the quarterfinals is awesome. And the crowd at, at King Tom the other day, yeah, superb. Well done yeah. to everyone who came out. And I'm sure they'll, they'll uh, come out again in, in numbers in, in Brisbane. 
um, for I mean, Peninsula. I don't even know where Peninsula Power Play. Let's be honest. My my <laughs> Queensland geography has uh, has really <laughs> been exposed today. Well, <laughs> uh, but uh, Penn Power again rode their luck a little bit against um, uh, Green Gully. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we're going to get an MPL team in the semi-finals, which uh, which is a good we good good outcome. Uh, but I like that it's happened organically and not as a result of some like contrived draw. Um. Also, I mean, the thing with you saying you don't know where Peninsula Power is, it's probably because we're traumatized from Brisbane Raw not being in Brisbane. They're in Redcliffe. They're in the Gold Coast. There, they might have an address somewhere that they use, so they don't. Get, so those bills get sent somewhere else. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, Oakley Cannons versus Sydney FC. Uh, how will Sydney FC find that away trip? You know, obviously Oakley down in Victoria. What what can they expect? Uh, yeah, one of my favourite grounds to go to, Oakley, and not not just for the Suvers, which are very good. Although I have to criticise the club for switching from Peters to hot dog buns. That was oh. a very controversial oh. what? decision. Um, <laughs> yeah, forget Brisbane Roll. We got bigger problems to solve, my friend. That's <laughs> um, an outrage. Even even with the sort of rolls that they use now, the meat. Yeah is better unbelievable unbelievable wow so um yeah just really, stick it on um, a plate don't need a bun but uh oakley is very much uh your classic like suburban mpl team with a, a ground that's like a little bit claustrophobic in terms mm. of the fans are right on the fence line right on top of you there is a grandstand of course uh but most people you know will choose to stand around the fence as well and then it's a really small pitch um, I'm not sure what the actual dimensions are, but it's it's tight. Um, and that enables Oakley to play a, a game where they try and win the ball in congested areas in the middle of midfield and then spring really quickly on the counter-attack. And because the pitch is so small, it's almost like watching a futsal game or something uh, because you get this really end-to-end feel a lot of the time and the ball is absolutely zipping around. Uh, the surface is held up pretty well, apparently, um, looking looking pretty good. Um, Andy Harper was apparently impressed with the, with the deck, uh, on Wednesday night. So, um, yeah, it can, it can get a little bit boggy there at times, but, um, yeah, the ball should be zipping around. Um, and yeah, Sydney FC will be in for a, a battle because Oakley are super well drilled. Um, the issue is going to be, um, yeah, cause we're coached by Chris Taylor and Chris Taylor is like, he's kind of like the Mourinho of MPL Victoria. Like his teams are always <laughs> like... They know what to do without the ball all the time. And then he gets talent up front yeah. that um, can do really good individual things, essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, so they're going to they're gonna be in a game. The issue is going to be their injury list and whether they can get their first choice team out in the park because it was a makeshift lineup with a guy who'd played combined total of less than 70 minutes starting up front against yeah. Brisbane City and scoring two goals in uh, Nick... Uh, near Gioran. Um yeah, whether they can get their full strength side back in time um, is the is the big big question. Um, our co-host doing a great job, just letting us know where Peninsula Power is. Saying Redcliffe, that's from Huraldo. Uh, uh, yes, Steve. I actually did Google that while we were talking about it. It is sort of Brisbane, sort of. Uh, Stephen says uh, they play out west near Logan. I think that might be a reference to your previous not knowing where Logan is. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Rial, he's giving us exactly. Not only is he giving us where the Pen Power plays, he's giving us his own location. Uh, Pen Power played about three minutes away from Dolphins. Oh no, sorry, someone said. Um, 
it was near their near their house or something. Anyway, uh, Torres makes the point: uh, if Pen Power had a crocodile mascot, Josh would know exactly where they play. I feel like I've I've totally severed my relationship with the North Queensland voters as a result of this this podcast. <laughs> well, I've been exposed as an interloper. L- Lockie Flanagan says Josh would know where Pen Power played if they were situated in a marginal seat. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the good stuff. Um, Paul Turner makes the point, Jukic no longer turns up and you guys get away with food safari talk. Look, this is the thing. It's, you can't, you can't just focus on food safari, which is, I guess, what Ante was criticizing, but food still needs to be discussed. All right. It needs to be improved at every opportunity we get. All right. The, the best food in the world should be at these grounds. And you, imagine, imagine the lines you'd get. Actually, in a way, you should just get the best food truck in Melbourne, stick it at an NPL ground, and then hipsters will turn up and be like, oh, I guess I'm watching some Australia Cup now. Um, you know, that, that's one way to boost crowds. Uh, it's going to be interesting for Sydney FC. Uh, they, like, it'll be interesting to see if all their signings, their new signings uh, mm. have started. I, we're going to get onto this later, but I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts because – when it was uh, announced that Joe uh, Lolly was going to play for Sydney FC, you were quite excited by him in the group chat. I I was on the NRI, never heard of this guy. Who is he? Oh, whatever. Like, he won't be that good. But you you have faith. Uh, I may have been influenced here by a co-worker of mine who is a mad Nottingham Forest fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shout loves out Tom. Joe Lolly. And also, uh, I think he's deleted his account now, but... Uh, he was, he had a very progressive, like very good Twitter presence. Um, and he was very vocal against the Tories and things like that. So I don't want to bring politics into it, but, um, I, I, I just like, I just thought, ah, you're one of the good ones, you know, you get it. I know he's going to get on one with one member of the Sydney FC team. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, um, nice style by the way. Um, I I was reading a lot about him when he signed all the athletic pieces and things, and he just seems to be like a bit of a a, a down to earth player because he played mm. at like amateur level for so so long, and yeah. then suddenly his career vaulted, you know, so many divisions in the space of six months, and now he's a professional footballer because uh, he was at uni, he was paying to play like the rest yeah. of us, um, and then uh, and he was sort of like I guess an amateur league legend, and then all of a sudden, you know, his career propelled him um to unforeseen heights so i think he's got a bit of perspective in that regard and also as a player he seems to be although somewhat injury prone in the last couple of years uh a bit of a maverick in terms of you know he tries stuff on the ball he's got Mm. um yeah that that uh i guess um that confidence to to try something unexpected and take risks on the pitch and that's what i like yeah and you know what like uh, watching some of the highlights um from his career at Nottingham. Yeah, he does kind of look very exciting, very direct, willing to take on players, which, you know, I think Sydney FC, when they kind of had Ninkovic and Baumjohan kind of in those wide positions, Ninkovic, Baumjohan, great players, great technical players, rarely kind of burst past a player with a dribble or speed, much more about kind of playing one-twos or, you know, just creating separation and sliding another player in. So, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, the way they line up. I've seen a few Sydney FC fans kind of give their starting 11s and who's going to be in what position and, you know, where players are going to play. Really interesting to see um, how 
who goes in what position? And also, does Gorica stay with the 4-3-3 after, you know, two games without a win in the opening season? Like, that's always the thing. People can start, yep, we're going 4-3-3, we're changing it up. And then as soon as the results go a bit bad, all right, all right let's just go back to what we know. So Spoken know. like a man who's abandoned a New Year's resolution after January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, plenty. Like five minutes after <laughs> the bell has hit. Um <laughs> Hey guys, if you like this podcast and you like footy, why not join myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all things footy with the help of the game's best statisticians. Get the ESPN footy podcast wherever you stream your podcasts every Tuesday. I actually went to Sydney FC's new stadium. Uh, I got a tour of it uh, courtesy of my work uh, this week. And I got to say, it looks like cool, like big improvement, like really like nice and steep. Seems like it's going to like, if it's full, it'll be amazing. How often will it be full? Basically was every single, like everywhere we went running through my head was how CDFC going to fill this 42,000 seater stadium. And, and how is it going to look when there's only 15,000, 20, like 20,000 will be a good crowd for Sydney FC based on kind of their numbers. It's going to be interesting to see how many people go Are they back. going to close the top deck? Like They 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 might close it, um, but they won't. There's no like curtain to block it off. So you'll still see uh, a lot of empty seats. Well, I don't know you, if want, you want people near where the, like you want them on the side where yeah. the camera is pointing, right? Yeah. Here. But so. it, kind of historically, that's always been... And, in the old SFS, I don't know how it's going to be in this one, but basically what would happen is in during the summer, the sun is on, is, is facing that side, uh, you know, the, the camera faces, right? So the sun is shining if you're in your eyes, if you're on the opposite sides of the camera. And so a lot of people, you know, don't want to be there or you got to be there with your arm up and da da da. It, it's not the nicest viewing experience. So it'll be interesting to see if the design of the stadium has helped that uh, at all. Um, but it does like, the atmosphere seems like it'd be really good. This like really, you know, it's hard to say, but doesn't seem like there's a bad seat in the house. It did remind me a lot of uh, the stadium out at Parramatta, which I also think is really, really good. And it's a shame that the Wanderers haven't been able to bring back the glory years uh, because I'm sure if that stadium was rocking, it would be absolutely amazing. And it was the, you know, a few Sydney derbies that I've been to when there was a massive crowd. Um, but they're also kind of importantly, I think the general admission uh, experience for Sydney FC games. The seats will be pretty good. Uh, I know there was a bit of talk today about really expensive beers and stuff like that. I didn't, you know, it was 10.30 in the morning. I wasn't going and trying uh, the beers and looking at the beer price. But, you know, that's a bit of a shame. But, hey, look, Surrey Hills, lots of good bars around. Have a few before, have a few after. Um, you know, it's a good time. But it is potentially very exciting for Sydney FC uh, if they have a good season in that stadium. Um, what's the so talk to me about the location of this because I don't know okay. again my geography outside of Melbourne is apparently non-existent so is this a good place for people to actually go and travel to is it easy is it accessible is there yeah, other good places so to eat and drink around it there's a couple of things previously the, this, this stadium which is basically located where the SCG is located previously you know it's, it's in the inner east uh, but You'd get off at Central and you'd probably have to walk uh, quite a long way. Sometimes there were special buses, but you were looking at like a 20, 25-minute walk mm -hmm. up hills and stuff like that. Wasn't the greatest experience. You were going through like a nice suburb, if I may say so myself, Surrey Hills. And, you know, there was bars and stuff along the way, but it, was, it wasn't it was the best setup. They've now basically got a 
light rail tram that goes from central station so you get off at central station catch the tram uh you know from there couple of stops to the stadium that's really good even if you're coming from the kind of the paddington side which is the, the suburb kind of to the north of the stadium it's a bit more accessible now just to walk straight in you used to have to kind of like walk all the way around the stadium to access it and they've kind of made the entry points a lot easier which was a kind of pain in the ass of the old stadium so it does seem like getting in and out uh, is going to be a lot better. Um, so it, you know. the reason I ask is just because yeah. it seemed like part of the reason for poor attendances and things for yeah. uh, as a, not just because Sydney siders uh, clearly have no ticker, which is you know, yeah. a state of fact. Um, <laughs> it just seemed like a pain in the ass, like to just go to a game, you know, <sighs> pay for parking, this, that, and the other. I don't know if you if that's a willing excuse. I don't know if that, uh, and I don't know if this stadium has solved those issues. I mean, I guess it also depends, like, where are you pulling your fans from? Like, you know, this where the stadium is situated is in a built-up... we use the phrase catchment area? Yeah, like, it, well, that's it, right? It's in a densely populated catchment area, right? So there's a lot of people who live around the stadium, in the suburbs around the stadium. So if you can get there via public transport, it's great. Now, Sydney, notoriously, and Australia more generally is a city for cars and people just drive everywhere and they come from places where maybe there isn't a train station close by or, or a bus station or a light rail and, and it can be difficult to get around on public transport. So I think what I'd be really interested to know is like where are Sydney FC members based and, and how do they get to the stadium? Look, I always prefer going via public transport uh, for many reasons. So, you know, one, it's, safer uh two it's you know often i find you get in and out of the stadium quicker you don't get stuck in traffic um if you know people can drink if they want to do that uh so i think as good as it's going to get you know it's close to central station in the same way that uh amy park is close to flinders street station kind of no Uh, it's not (laughs) no have i got that wrong richmond station um, Richmond Station, whatever. Yeah, well, uh, Richmond is like on the east side of the city. Every train goes through Richmond. It's like yeah. the hub, and it's only yeah. one stop out from Flinders Street. So yeah, it's not that far from Flinders, but yeah. So I, I think, look, I'm pretty excited for Sydney FC. I, I really hope that they go on a good run and they play some nice football and people have a really good experience and they're going every week. You know, last season was tough and that was we've seen with the Wanderers. You can have a really nice stadium and the Wanderers stadium is close to Parramatta Station and it's just like a 15-minute walk or something from the station. But you go through the, you know, it's a nice experience if Wanderers are playing well. If they're not (laughs) and they're losing every week and the fans stop turning up and the atmosphere sucks, there's as good as the stadium can be, you know, there's not much. The club does need to perform at a certain level. You know, it's it's a shame. It'd be lovely if the fans showed up every week, like you see in some countries, and they cheered nonstop and they sang and that <clears throat> doesn't happen in Australian football. So, I really do hope uh, that you know, kind of, it works out. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I can see some comments, uh, people asking about the toilets. Uh, Daniel Allian Stadium toilet rating. I didn't actually use one of the toilets. Uh, I know Neil has asked that as well. There was six hundred toilets. What I will say is in the old stadium, it was like there were massive lines for the toilets, especially the women's toilets. And this is going to be hosting uh, Women's World Cup games as well in 2023. And the fact that they have so many toilets, and I think so many kind of 
either unisex toilets or basically toilets that females can access is actually a really good thing. Uh, and I think it's going to make their experience really good because it is, you know, for any football fan, basically what you want to do is roughly most people, not everyone's like this, but probably have a drink or two before the game, probably have a drink at the game, then pee at half time, then have a drink or two. And you don't want to miss the, half. you don't want to miss a goal. That's, that's <clears> yeah, exactly. Thing. Right. We're, but you know, how many times you've been to a stadium and like, it's just got poor accessibilities to public toilets and people are like, Oh, I better go in the 30th minute so I can kind of beat the crowd. And we're like, what? Well, you don't want to have to do that. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be uh, interesting. Look, there's also the other thing, like some people say it was a waste of taxpayers money and that's another discussion to be had. Um, but you know, the government wastes taxpayers' money all the time and <laughs> at least we got a cool stadium out of it. Like that's 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 what I'd say about that. I, um, I want to come back to the the, the four three three and the yep. the new Corica. Because it does strike yep. me as you know, I mentioned the New Year's resolution before. Um it does strike me as a, you know, I can fix him kind of um approach. You know, they, they, he's done a lot of work on himself. He's come back. He's a new man. He's got a new. He's got a new system. It's going to be different this time. And I feel like after three defeats, it's going to go back to the four triple two tried and true. Like that's just what's yeah. in the back of my mind this whole time. Is has is it going to change? Are Sydney going to play a more expansive brand of football? Mm. Are the supporters going to be satisfied with Corica still in charge after what happened last season? Um, and I I don't know, but I some of the recruitment is is relatively encouraging. You know, I said last well, week that I don't think they're going to play any young players again. And that's, you know, I stand by that. I don't think they are going to be playing many of, of the youngsters in the first team. That's just not really what Sydney tend to do. But that doesn't mean they're not going to play decent football, you know? No. And you know what? Some of the signings they've made, Lolly and um, the Slovenian player. Wingers. Robert Mack. Robert, Robert Mack. Mack. Yeah. Uh, they're wingers. So I guess if you are playing 4 3 3 the fact that you're signing wingers gives me encouragement that you're committed to this. I don't know how you're going to use those players if you revert back to your four two 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 two. Um, I guess you, you could have wingers in that system, but then they come inside a lot and you're kind of more relying on the overlapping fullbacks. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. But I, I guess I guess we'll get a taste of it against Oakley, and that's, I, that's going to be an interesting one. MacArthur Wellington. Uh, MacArthur's an interesting one because is a little bit of hope bubbling amongst them, do you think? Do, do you think there's a little bit of a, a positive change? Because, I mean, I hammered them all last season. But it does seem like there's a little bit of an uptick happening there. Yeah, I mean, um, with Dwight York in charge, with um, hopefully playing, you know, again, uh, a more entertaining brand of football than they have at times. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Arzani playing for the club yeah. is always, it's just intriguing to see w- how he does and whether he can um, start to rebuild his career. Um, I'm really excited to watch him. It's hard to judge at this point because they just haven't had competitive games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe the fact that the games haven't been competitive is actually a credit to MacArthur. Yeah. Um, some of the signings I'm impressed by, some of them I think a kind of meh squad filler stuff mm. that I'm not particularly inspired by. Um, yeah. So it's been a mixed bag, but won't see. I think it's weird that Jack Rodwell ended up at Sydney and not MacArthur because the charm offensive from Dwight York was 
was real. Mm. He made him captain of the All-Stars when he didn't have a club. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he said, no, he's going to go to Sydney. And is Sydney going to use him in midfield or is he going to play centre-back? I don't know. Well, um, yeah. to me, he makes more sense at centre-back for Sydney um, where they had a lot of issues in that position last season. But, do you say that because you think Jack Rodwell can play centre-back or do you say that because you don't want to watch Jack Rodwell play midfield? Ah, uh, the latter. <laughs> oh, I'll say that. <laughs> That's what it is, right? Yeah. It sounds, like, it sounds brutal, but, you know, you probably, like, we, we like a, a player in there who's probably a little bit more expansive with their passing and, yeah. you know, they're not just a, a stopper, I guess, which is what I mean, Jack Rodwell largely is at this stage of his the, career. The other thing with Sydney is, like, if you have Jack Rodwell, and he was fast in the A-League, like, we saw he's got, he can move. Um, if you're playing him and Alex Wilkinson, can you play a high line because he has that speed? Uh, I think last year they had, was it Donicky there? He kind of had a lot of issues and they kind of muddled around with it. So that's also another reason why I would prefer to see Jack Rodwell in the defense as opposed to in midfield. And I, and I like Yazbek. I think I don't want to see kind of Yazbek pulled out of that, you know, number six position. And when we saw Jack Rodwell in that position, it was very chaotic, uh, I thought, at the Wanderers. There was a lot of, like, he, he was making a lot of runs into the box and, and kind of, like, there was a lot of kind of box-to-box nature of it, but it was chaotic, and I don't think it actually really helped uh, the Wanderers. So it will be an interesting question of deployment as well. Yeah. You know, I don't think, I wouldn't want Jack Rowell playing as a as a six, as you yeah. say. Maybe if he's kind of like a, a box-crashing kind of eight, mm-hmm. that yeah. can be effective if you've got enough... Uh, subtlety around him, let's say. Yeah. Um, you know, you got maybe a Burgess, Yazbek, Rodwell midfield. Mm. Doesn't sound too bad. Sounds it sounds balanced to me. But, I mean, um, if I think the more pressing need is, is central defence, as you say. Yeah. So Aaron Gerd, who impressed uh, in that Australia Cup game against Bentley Greens, uh, Blake Hampton says you need Gerd and Rodwell to play a high line, then a coach willing to play a high line. That, that that's a pretty interesting thing. But it will be interesting to see how they transition from Alex Wilkinson, who's been an amazing centre back uh, over the years in the A League for Sydney FC, for the Mariners, I think for Melbourne City as well. It'll be interesting to see how much game time Gerd sees because you know, like you say, Sydney FC haven't played the kids. They've been resistant to do that uh, over the years. So I hope, I hope we see a lot of good because there was a lot of promise um, uh, in that Australia Cup game. But, you know, in saying that, Alex Wilkinson played a beautiful uh, pass to set up uh, Adrian uh, Segicic. So, you know, maybe Alex Wilkinson still got it and doesn't want to miss a game. And, and he's Shout been out so to you, by the way, for remembering the 10 games that Alex Wilkinson played for Melbourne City when I completely forgot that that happened. <laughs> I, yeah, Bang. I don't know. Usually research, not my strong point. But, uh, you know, tonight having to do the heavy lifting, I guess. Um, uh, Wilkinson, in terms of the, the transition, I think yeah. they could cope with losing one of Wilkinson or Ninkovic, not yeah. both. So yeah. you can't just take Wilkinson completely out of the mix as well. Yeah. Because that's just too much like upheaval for one club mm. to take for their two like great players. I, I I think that's why Wilkinson will stay in the mix. Um, and you might have to manage him, you might have to rotate him. Uh, yeah. But that's why I don't think we're going to see you know again um, the young players being relied upon as starting eleven players that often for Sydney FC. I tell you what, it was when I was doing the stadium tour. I was thinking. Oh, this would have been a nice place for Juan Mata to play. Or, oh, this would have been a nice place for Andres Iniesta. Or, you know, because I was there when Del Piero made his debut. Like, 
that stadium packed. They love a superstar. I was there when Dwight York made his debut back in the day. And the superstar kind of appeal is real. And it does make a tangible difference when you're sitting in the stadium. So that Dempieri team stunk, by the way. They were totally really bad. <laughs> but you know what? The fans that. loved watching him. Like yeah. <laughs> that, the fans, they'll still have better memories of that team because Del Piero scored four against Wellington because he scored that free kick uh, against Newcastle. Then they probably will on some of the seasons where they were better. Uh, maybe not a championship winning team, but anyway. a shit team uh, in service of one star player um, being a crowd pleaser. If only Manchester United fans were uh, <laughs> with that forgiving in their assessment. Um, MacArthur Wellington, who are you tipping there? Uh, I don't know because I can't tell how good MacArthur are. Um, yeah. I, I guess MacArthur have the home advantage. Mm. Look, I can't split them. <laughs> Does to be that honest. matter when it's MacArthur? Yeah, <laughs> not... that's true. I mean, you know, Wellington have played just as many games in that area of the world. Kind of. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'll, I'll go Wellington. I'll go Wellington. All right. I think I'm, I'm hoping MacArthur are better. I'm hoping I have a reason to get excited about uh, MacArthur here. Uh, Alan Riley's made the point. We've gone over an hour, stole out. We've gone over an hour. We haven't even hit half our topics. Um, Adelaide United, Brisbane Raw. Uh, what do you think? Adelaide United Cup specialist, do you buy into that narrative? Yes, I do. Because then you look at Brisbane Raw, uh, the cup flunkies, if you look at their record. <laughs> They've made the quarterfinals twice in the yeah. whole existence of the FFA slash Australia Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the, it was the last two editions that they made it. Before that, yeah. they were out. Round of thirty-two, round of sixteen. Every time they played an A-League team for the first time, mm. they're gone. And I, their performance against Avondale didn't fill me with confidence. So I'm going to go with Adelaide. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, Brisbane Raw. I'm going to go with Adelaide as well, uh, mainly because. Brisbane Royal reportedly uh, owe two councils money uh, in regards to the training ground. And that never fills me with confidence uh, when no, it comes there's to There's a team. lot of a lot of off the field noise has to affect the players <laughs> in some way as well. Yeah, that, that's true. Like, that's surely. Like how are the players feeling about this Corey Brown situation? Like I would feel really bad if I was, you know, a player in that situation. I saw this happening to a teammate of mine. So Absolutely. I think that would be a natural reaction. And even seeing a few of their players like certain tweets mm. over the weekend that were maybe supportive of the PFA and maybe a little critical of their own club, uh, maybe gives you an inkling into what is the feeling uh, within the club. And players tend to, in my experience, stick together more than even if they think maybe a player is in the wrong, if they feel like he's been you know, punished more than he should have been. Uh, they tend to kind of get together and, and really support each other. By the way, uh, this I have no idea what this is in relationship. It could have yeah. just been an injury that they didn't want to tell me about, but I yeah. asked why Jay O'Shea was not in the squad against Avondale, and yeah. the response I got was confidential. <laughs> just one word. That was it. So well, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, they wouldn't. They wouldn't tell me whether it was illness, COVID, injury, whatever. But yeah. uh, if, they, if Jay O'Shea doesn't play again, I can't see him winning. Yeah, doesn't uh, doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence. Um, hey, one thing I was just going to ask you before we move on from the A League, uh, you commentated uh, an A uh, kind of a trial match with Melbourne Victory or a, a friendly kind of off season. They're out of the cup at the moment. Nani got some minutes. Uh, what did you kind of glean from that experience? I mean, what a night to see Nani's debut 
uh, starting debut for Melbourne Victory in Dandenong. Um, I don't think anyone had that, you know, as a prediction. Um, fantastic. <laughs> when he was winning Champions Leagues, like in 2008 with Manchester United, in 14 years' time, my friend, you will be making your debut for a new club in Dandenong. Oh, incredible. Um, not the best playing surface at uh, George Andrews that night. It was, uh, yeah. It's a little bit boggy, but you could still... You could see glimpses. Like Victory didn't play that well, um, but they, they got the win in the end. Um, quickly taken free kick by Rai Marchand, scoring his, I think, first ever goal that he's ever scored for Victory. I, I, obviously, it's a, not, it's a friendly game, so it doesn't really count. But yeah. uh, I thought it was amazing t- in a friendly game for someone to take a free kick while the goalkeeper is still setting up the wall. I love <laughs> It's an MPL team. <laughs> in a friendly. Massive respect for Rai Marchand. The shithousery is <laughs> off the charts. I love it. And his teammates were ribbing him about it as well. Uh, very, very, very funny. Um, Roderick Miranda um, keep teasing him. So, um, yeah, I respect the hustle. I respect the uh, the gamesmanship. Uh, but, yeah, Nani, like, there were just a few moments where he takes the ball down out of the sky and just, mm. like, spins somebody and you just go, ooh, that's, that's yeah. class. So, yeah, that, no that's substantive. the big money. Yeah. Uh, like there was a few times where, you know, he kind of butchered counterattacking opportunities and like, yeah. you know, um, when victory had numbers forward, he p- tried to play too ambitious a pass or whatever, but mm. things you iron out, you know? Yeah. And I believe he's played more minutes than Sturridge already. So that's kind of a positive <laughs> on that note. No, because I mean, that's, that is the big thing you want to know, like, have we signed someone who's going to last more than, uh, Two or three games. Oh, um, plug, by the way, they we I might be doing another one of those uh, this week. We'll see. All right, cool. Check it out. Uh, Melbourne Victory socials are probably the best place to check it, or Josh Parrish's uh, Twitter account. Um, we should move on uh, to the Matildas. Uh, we'll talk about the young Matildas first because they uh, crashed out um, uh, during the week of the Women's World Cup, the Women's Under-20 World Cup. Uh, they lost 3-0 to Spain. Uh, did you have a chance to kind of watch this game? Um, or what, what was your kind of overall thoughts of the Young Matildas campaign? Um, I feel like when you draw from such a narrow pool of players, yeah, I don't see how that can possibly be reflective of the best talent in the country. That's yeah. all... Oh, that's really all I can say on the issue. Like mm. every single player is from Blacktown, which is like Western Sydney Wanderers light. And yeah. I, I just don't see how that can possibly be the case that those are the best 11 players of that age group in like, I, I it doesn't, it doesn't seem right to me. Maybe it's just, maybe it's a statistical anomaly. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, just from the bits that I saw, uh, especially against kind of, I watched the, the two games where they lost to Brazil and Spain. It didn't fill me with great comment. Brazil and Spain are two amazing football nations. And, you know, even though they're not as maybe traditionally strong in the women's game as they are in the men's game, they're still very uh, strong teams, especially kind of in the last few years. <laughs> In 15, I don't know how long that we've kind of had, you know, to use the title of this podcast, but the national curriculum. I see a lot of... You said the thing. I said the thing. I see a lot of... Leonardo DiCaprio pointing a screen <laughs> meme. Insert here. Uh, I see a lot of the centre-backs trying to play out. Uh, maybe not necessarily the midfielders 
you know, getting in positions for those center backs to play out. They don't, you know, traditionally, and I'm not talking about just the young Matildas, I'm talking about all Australian teams, uh, youth teams over the years. You just watch them, you know, often just kind of hoof it uh, back in the day. We don't seem to do that as much, but we don't seem to play through lines. We don't seem to produce many wingers who, like we we're talking about earlier, have the confidence to to go past a player, to try something, to to you know create that moment and uh, to create that scoring opportunity. It does seem like, regardless of this team, but the same mistakes are being made generation after generation, and there are some slight improvements and the technical abilities of one or two players, you'll be like, oh, wow, that's like impressive. But overall, we seem to still be producing the same type of teams that struggle struggle to play against teams, any decent opposition, basically. Struggle to play out, struggle to play through lines, struggle to create chances. We're not too bad in transition. We're, you know, we're hard workers. We harry and press and and set pieces and all that but aussie dna never say die right yeah but it's just every every time i watch a youth tournament under 17s under 20s men's women's whatever there's always a hope oh maybe the new generation will be different and every single time it does seem like it's okay again we've got another kind of this is the new crop now like you say is not pulling from the full uh, you know, the full country. Uh, so that makes it difficult. Um, and there, there were a lot of other issues kind of going to this tournament in terms of you know, how long the team got to spend together and, and all the conditions. But again, also, I'm, I don't follow the other teams closely enough, but I'm sure they don't have ideal preparations and they've got millions going into their under 20s women's, you know, budget and, you know, Brazil, the Brazilian coaches flying all around the country, seeing every single play. I'm not sure if that happens. Uh, so I just think while there are excuses made, I, I just think we're making the same mistakes. And one for Chief Football Officer uh, Ernie Merrick to get on the case and, and, and try and sort it all out. Uh, it's funny you mention um, the, the national curriculum, uh, not the yeah. podcast, because the new coach of the Western Sydney Wanderers women's team, Kat Smith, if her Alamein teams that I've watched in MPLW Victoria, anything to go by, yeah. is the most strict, like the, the strictest adherent to that formula that I've maybe ever seen. Um, I, I, I've described her coaching before to some other people in the scene. It's as if she like not only read the document, but maybe swallowed it and ingested it. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Black Books episode where Manny ingests the little book of calm. And, um, like, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 so, it's so clearly um, inspired by that particular coaching curriculum. And yeah. um, that's, she's going to be, co- the reason I bring that up is because she's going to mm. be coaching a lot of the players that are in this under-20s Women's World Cup yeah. squad because they're all, a lot of them are Western Sydney Wanderers players. Um, so whether that um, benefits them or not, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, run them memes uh, makes a point. Every new generation will be the same as the last because the same people are still running the game. Uh, well, fresh face Ernie Merrick and Ron Smith are on the case, and uh, I'm sure the revolution is uh, coming. Uh, Shotskis says, yes, we are making the same mistakes time and time again. As fans, we are frustrated. I mean, yeah, it is the... It is very frustrating to just 
like see every time you're like, all right, maybe we're different. No, we're not. Um, we should talk I about. This. I love this, by the way. This uh, comment of the night so far. Oh, read it out. It may, maybe our national identity is struggling to play out against decent opposition and we should embrace it. That's our style <laughs> of play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it, is, it is frustrating. I mean, we, it seems like we have the ambition to be a nation where we, we, we play kind of, you know, attacking attractive possession-based football. And then everyone seems to shit themselves when that is required. <laughs> <laughs> basically and 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 even even kind of you know and i made this point before especially watching spain but the, just the level of coaching and, and what what a you know an under 12 girl is being coached at a local team in spain is very different to what an under 12 girl is being coached at a local team in australia and i think that's an issue that gets exasperated over time it's um, funny you mentioned that because I, I was interviewing Sasha Rodinovsky this week um, in my role at Preston because he's the new football director there. Um, yeah. And I asked him like why he's taking on the role, what's the motivation? And he went on this like long spiel about the state of Australian football and this, that, yeah. and the other. And, you know, he says, I, I see 15-year-olds all the time that can't trap a ball. And to me, like, that's sad. And, you know, all this yeah. stuff about how basic things are being overlooked and kids get left behind because these these curriculums aren't implemented properly um mm. and it's all based on whether you're lucky enough to have a good coach yeah uh, a talented coach as opposed to the curriculums actually being um implemented properly so yeah i thought i thought that was super interesting and um yeah it'd be interesting to see like um how preston as an example of a local club goes about trying to improve the resources available to their coaches and trying to make mm. it a little bit uh, easier for, for a lot of volunteer junior coaches. Cause they're not even an MPL program. They're in a community program at the moment in juniors um, yeah. trying to improve that standard um, and mm. make and give them the resources available and having like the six week blocks and so forth to actually, um, you know, make sure that um, you know, kids are, are being taught what they need to be taught. Um. Uh, Shotsky says one planet sized mistake we have in this country is thinking that tactical inflexibility is something to be proud of. It's not a bad point there. Um, Run their meme says attacking possession based football costs an extra 5k in fees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th look, that's another issue. The amount uh, people have to pay. Torres makes the point USA and Germany under twenties also went out. So maybe not just quite as bad as people think. It's not so much the going out at the group stage is a problem for me. It's just that it's the same issues that we like we had i think it was against brazil something like 58 percent possession for one shot that was off a free kick from distance that was straight at the keeper like what are you doing with the ball you know you have the ball you're doing nothing with it the other team you might be controlling the possession the other team is controlling the match and basically laughing at you as they're doing it so I don't know. It's, it's quite frustrating. Uh, Hirado says we just have a very naive view of how we want to play. It's eh, not a bad point. Um, something that isn't frustrating, at least uh, for Matildas fans based in Melbourne, uh, is the fact that uh, there's going to be a Matildas game uh, in Melbourne uh, coming up. I think it's in November. We're going to play Sweden. Um, Josh, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, interesting. Because uh, Sweden are, uh, are a proper team. And that's going to be hard. Um, and I assume, I assume that we're going to have a full strength squad available again. And it's not going to be like the Spain and Portugal friendlies where 
um, we had that huge rotation of, of players and it wasn't really, it was Matilda's B. Um, yeah, cool um, to have that game happening in Melbourne. Um, you know, uh, I've had a lot of criticism of my geographical knowledge on this show today. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the reason is like, why would I go anywhere else? Um, yeah. But no, it's, it's, it's going to be very cool to have the team down here. Um, and First Matilda's game in almost four years. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially um, since uh, Melbourne aspires to be the home of the Matildas in terms of that training base, yeah. that they're converting it um, at La Trobe Uni, which is uh, makes basically Melbourne City's old um, training ground because uh, they've moved down to Casey Fields. That's the new project in Victoria to have that, that home of the Matildas. Um, so to have no games there for four years <laughs> doesn't really uh, doesn't really suggest that Melbourne is the home of the Matildas. Uh, maybe that can change. Uh, I'm just look. Is exciting uh, for Matilda's fans based in Melbourne and all football fans based in Melbourne. Um, but I'm just going to read something out from Joey, who uh, sent us a message because he knew he might not be able to uh, uh, come on the show tonight. But he did want to make this point. Uh, not a single football journalist received an invite to the Matilda's match announcement at Amy Park. Why is Football Australia not even going to the effort of ensuring that the increasingly tiny number of journalists that cover football week in, week out in this country are able to come down to a major announcement less than a year out from a home Women's World Cup and ask a question of the Federation's CEO? Acknowledging that the Victorian government uh, Victorian government likely controlled the timing of the announcement and who broke it, but that shouldn't have stopped them from inviting journalists down themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. If you're going to have this, like the CEO down there, is it just for a photo op? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not great. It, it's part of like a wider conversation of like, there is a small, you know, section of the media for Australian football. There, there's very few people left that cover Australian football full-time. In fact, I'm struggling to think of anyone who now covers Australian football exclusively full-time there's, there's very few of them left and, and, and neither of us do that's for sure no yeah, yeah and and not even you know not employed by the a-leagues or football Federa federation football australia or whoever um so just want to make it kind of as easy as possible for the ones that do uh to continue to promote your game through continue to grow your game and yeah i don't know even if there is controversy in the game which football journalists will bring up and will you know rightfully ask questions about i still think that helps grow interest in the game there's controversy about you know madrid and barcelona every five seconds and they seem to have no problem you know growing their fan bases uh worldwide so i don't know it is an interesting one but i guess another test uh for tony gustafson that like are we expecting things to be much better? And, and if they're not, uh, if, will he just continue on and on until the Women's World Cup? I think it would be very late to make a change now. Um, yeah. yeah, look, we're, I, I'm we've not got sure. two games coming up against Canada in September. Mm. Then we've got these games, uh, this game against Sweden. They're decent sides, Canada and Sweden. Yeah. We're not expecting amazing results or anything, but... I don't know. I'm hoping for an improvement at the very least. Like, I mean, two really strong performers at the Olympics. Um, yeah. Yeah. Two, like Sweden, in all honesty, played us off the park at the Olympics. Um, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I'm expecting a real test and this will be, 
this will be a good barometer of where the team is actually at um, and whether Tony G has had um, any luck in solving some of the systemic issues that are clearly um, at play in this in, in this squad that has I think still has a really high ceiling. I still I still believe that even if mm. some of the coverage in the wider mainstream media about the Matildas is still a little um, condescending and how uncritical it is. Yeah. Um, I still I still believe this group with the right, you know, culture and tactics and all that sort of stuff uh, has a really high ceiling. So uh, uh, we should say as well, the Victorian government said they'll do $25 million worth of upgrades uh, for the stadium's lighting, video screens and broadcast facilities, as well as player corporate and spectator amenities. Uh, this is ahead of uh, next year's world cup. Um, was it required? Uh, you'd know Amy Park better than me. Every time I've been there, I've been, Really impressed uh, by the the roof has leaked a couple of times, okay. um, so that might be something to do with that. Um, no, it's uh, I think upkeep is always really important to ensure that your uh, brand shiny uh, asset doesn't become out of date or fall into disrepair. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I it's still it's still an awesome place to watch football. Let's let's not beat around the bushes. I, I also um, I would say that the media facilities there are a little cramped. Um, it helps that there are almost no one. There's always no one covering football full time um, in in Australia. But uh, if there were, um, you'd be a little short of of space in the in the press box and so forth. Should we move on to uh, Aussies abroad and? Um... I kind of, you know, some Aussies have been doing some great stuff. I saw Martin Boyle scored for Hibernian against Rangers. Uh, Awa Mabil made his starting debut for Cardiff uh, in there, I think 2-0 loss. Um, didn't do too much, but, you know, it's still good to see him there. But there's a couple of players that I'm pretty concerned about um, at the moment. It's kind of Tom Rogic. One of them, uh, there was a report today that he uh, might be going to Everton. Uh, which kind of seemed out of left field. Everton, Frank Lampard interested uh, in signing Tom Rogic. Uh, so, you know, what, what did you think about that one? Interesting. Um, Frank Lampard has been very vocal in preseason that mm-hmm. he hasn't had the signings that he wanted. Um, yeah. And we know Everton have spent a lot of money and they've wasted a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and they seem to be looking to cash in on a couple of uh, their brightest players. Um, I was actually, yeah, I was doing highlights for uh, for Everton's game last night, and Anthony Gordon was by far and away their brightest attacking talent, and mm. they look like they're about to flog him to Chelsea for £45 million. Pounds. Um, so they need bodies, which is the, is the um, truth of it. Uh, Rogic in the Premier League at this stage of his career with his injury record and we have still have no answer as to what it is that was the off field issue that kept him out of the Socceroo squad and yeah. dipped off the radar. We still don't know what that was about. Uh, so no idea where his head's at. I have my doubts about how successful that would be, uh, but certainly a good opportunity and one to definitely consider. But I, I do think Everton are in trouble this season. I don't think they're out of the woods when it comes to relegation danger and I still have serious reservations about Frank Lampard as as a manager. Um, mm. But if you get an opportunity to play in the Premier League, take it. I think you have to take it, especially so. given like he was linked with you know teams in Indonesia and a team in Cyprus, and 
for him to end up at Everton uh, would, would be incredible. strikes me as uh, the manager, uh, sorry, the, the manager trying to deal with having no budget at the end mm. of the transfer window uh, yeah. from a, and dealing with an owner who's cut off the, the flow the funds. Of, yeah. of funds. Um, yeah. Well, and also, like, you can sign free agents a little bit after the transfer window ends up finishing as well. Uh, there's, like, a couple of weeks uh, extra leeway on that front. Uh, another one I kind of wanted to bring up is, you know, a player that I feel like people have forgotten um, how good he was. But Massimo Luongo, uh, you know, this guy was our best player at the Asian Cup in 2015 when we won it, when he was, I think, 21 years old and... Nominated in the in the long long list for the Ballon d'Or that year, you know he he didn't get much game time, uh, kind of in the Socceroos after Ange left, um, and that's for a number of reasons. Of, he even dipped out of favour while Ange was still there. Yeah, honestly, uh, like if you look, and this has been well covered by the likes of um, yeah. Geraldo and. Uh, even in that uh, kind of long read, Evan Morgan Graham piece before he became our, our meme lord uh, when he used to write <laughs> tactics articles, um, it very clearly articulates a dip in Socceroos' performance when we move from Luongo to to Moy as our main creative fulcrum in midfield. Yeah. Um, and there were different reasons why Luongo dipped out of favour, you know, club form, injuries, this, that and the other. Um, but Luongo playing as the most advanced in a midfield three in a 4-3-3, was Australia's winning formula at the at the Asian Cup, um, mm. and he was amazing. He was so good in that tournament. It's a, just a tragedy that uh, is what what's happened to his career. It's funny, like him and Rogic. That look, they're not the most expressive of people, but there does seem like this series, like these number of Australian footballers who almost seem to fall out of love with the game. And I don't know if it's because they you know, their careers don't pan out exactly how they thought they would or they're a long way from home and, you know, it, it's it's a weird thing. But if you even if you think about how, like, Spiranovic just retired for two years and, and just kind of disappeared and then came back and it's not uncommon uh, for Australian footballers to at least appear like they're not enamoured by the game. And it, it, that... See, you know, it's hard to say, again, they haven't, they don't do many interviews, so it's hard to kind of put this in. But sometimes I, I just wonder, like, how much do they actually enjoy this lifestyle of being a professional footballer at the level that they're at? I think the distance is a major part of it, like mm. being away from family, all that stuff. Oh. Um, I think part of the reason that Ange Postacogli was quite successful as Socceroos manager and the reason why when the team was not functioning very well, they still managed to make the World Cup is yeah. because the team kind of bonded together on a basis of like, this is really hard to do what we do, to have the lifestyle and the sacrifice of these long trips and the toll it takes on your body uh, and the toll it takes on your club career when you go play for your country and your national team career when you go play for your club and you're serving these two masters. And it's always been difficult for Australian players in that regard because, you know, European managers don't understand why you're flying halfway across the world yeah. to play against, you know, Chinese Taipei or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, like I, I think, I think that's part of the issue is like, it's more demanding um, mm. when you are a soccer in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting how those two uh, 
pan out. I really hope they find a club soon because uh, I'd really like to see them both involved uh, in the soccer squad come World Cup time. Uh, th- like the other one that I'm a little bit concerned about is Hrustic. Uh, I think he's our best player. Um, and for him to still kind of be out of the frame at Frankfurt. Uh, there, was there was so much transfer talk around him. That, there was a it still hasn't lot, happened. Yeah, there was a lot of talk that he was going uh, to Serie A, uh, Sana Salernit. Tana, who are uh, relegation threatened team. It, it seems like he falling was back in love with football. By the way, playing at Salernitana. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and the thing what the thing was interesting was that he seemed to be the offense seemed to be there, but he was kind of waiting on his options, which suggested that he had better options. There was talk of Betis, but I don't know where that came from. I didn't see that anywhere in Spain. I only saw that here in Australia, which made me a little suspect about that. Um, or at least I didn't see anything about that recently uh, in Spain. It was kind of, I know there was talk like six months ago or, or maybe kind of longer, but yeah, I think. I don't think mass- he plays for Betis if he goes there, to be honest. It's a, a lot. It's, it's a, a really good team. Stacked. Yeah. It's a really, really good. Thing. If he can get in that team, like that's incredible for him, but um, it is a massive thing. Uh, look, I think we should, come towards the end of the show uh i think we've done pretty well to get it to an hour and 40 minutes at this stage but we should end uh with your questions uh coming in we did have a few coming in on twitter so i'll just read them out as they've come in uh prospective proxima centauri b ambassador don't know why that's uh his twitter name who whatever that's in reference to is it worth it everyone being so confused but uh he's at elf Vandell 20. Delbridge and Grant, the Alex version, as potential bolters for the Socceroos. Do you see it? Maybe maybe Alex Grant. Um, yeah. He's been playing regularly for, is it Pohang? Uh, um, in, in South Korea, I know he's playing there. Yeah, um, yeah it's Pohang Steelers, which is a, a big team. So, yeah, I can I can see it. Sure, why not? Um, it, it's all based on, like, you know, if if Kai Rolls playing for the Mariners can get in the national team, then is it beyond Alex Grant as a left sided centre back? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it's true. Um, all right, let's have a look at some of uh, uh, the other questions. Mike W. Francis he says Angus Thurgate would have to be close to the top of the list of Aussies who should be jetting off. With his first name, Scotland seems a good destination. I do like the idea of assigning players. <laughs> Uh, two leagues just based on their first name. Uh, Angus Thurgate. I, personally, I'd like to see him stay in the A-League. I really liked watching him play uh, for the Jets if he, if he does make that step up. But Scotland for a kind of creative midfielder? Eh. He's got an engine, though, Thurgate. Yeah. He does. He's a runner. That's true. You know, That's true. He, he's, a, he's a sort of third-man runner into the box as well. He stretches defences with that kind of movement. He's not. Yeah. It's not as if he's a player who always wants the ball to feet. So I don't. I yeah. don't hate it. Um, the reason everyone's yeah. going to Scotland is because it's just easier to get a visa there. Yeah, like, exactly. Than it is in England. So and they're going there instead of League One and the, the Championship. Um, there's a question here from Jules three three four. Are there any players Western United could be signing or are looking at? Uh, I'm going to say there are players they could be signing. There are players they are looking at. I have no information. I just assume that a professional club that hasn't quite filled out their roster would be doing that. Josh, do you have any more specific news on that front? Uh, I got nothing in terms of, um, you know, exclusives or 
uh, rumours, but mm. you look at the way that they nailed their, their foreign signings last season, you've got to replace some of those guys like Krahin and potentially Prijevic is still up <laughs> in the air. Um, I, I think they'll come up with some uh, some good good players and you've always got Diamante there as like the, the recruitment um, uh, help. He, he seems to be able to, he's got a Rolodex of contacts, it seems, and he managed to convince Leo Lacroix to, to come and join. He was part of the, the charm offensive on that front. So, yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll reel in some good European talent again. Uh, on the subject of Western United, AK Chapman asks, question, Prijevic, is he coming back to Western United? It's increasingly uh, unlikely, but you know he's still under he's still under contract, so they got to they've got to agree a fee for him. He can't just leave. So it doesn't seem like he wants to come back. Uh, look, I was just in Europe. I was having a great time. I didn't want to come back. I totally get it. You know, I was on another podcast recently where I made the claim that all Australians should mass migrate to Southern Europe <laughs> for basically the months of about May to about September. If Priovic is starting that, I'm on board. Um, Hiraldo makes the point, uh, Luongo loved the game enough, at least until his injury hell at Wednesday in the in the last two years. It, specifically various soccer managers, just didn't love him back. Uh, yes, quite dramatic uh, from we Hiraldo didn't, there. We didn't, but, um, we didn't know what we had until it was gone. Um, yeah. With Luongo. Um, but it was interesting that he, he did post on his Instagram story recently, uh, oh. like he shared, he shared, I think he shared the, um, the post where basically Sheffield Wednesday were saying, oh, you know, thanks and success. And he said yeah. something like news to me or like, really? Ooh. So yeah. Ouch. ouch. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see Luongo move away from England. Uh, maybe I think, you know, Jackson Irvine was another player who he had his issues uh, with Hull. And, and similar yeah. like contractual issues and and then he uh, spent some time with Hibs. But then he's gone to um, Germany with St. Pauli where he's kind of playing in the second division. Captain seems to be loving it, uh, seems to be, you know, getting regular football. The melding of a personality and yeah. a particular club culture couldn't be better. And he's an ideal player for um, Zweite Bundesliga because like, it's mm. – it's so like up and at them, go, go, go. They need these yeah. players with big engines, physical pressing. So maybe, I mean, talking about kind of putting a player in a region just because of his name, but Massimo Longo does have an Italian background. Uh, so maybe Serie B uh, could be kind of a, an interesting thing. Uh, Lockie a resident Flan- cinch, cinch Premiership fan yeah. has come fired back at you, mate. <laughs> Lockie Flanagan says, Stoll, Scotland w- with a creative midfielder. Eh, Rogic, am I a joke to you? Look, first of all, I'll say if Angus Thurgate is being approached by Celtic, then yes, take it. That, that's a great move for you, especially under Ange Postecoglou. Uh, look, Lohi would know better than me uh, how creative midfields kind of do in kind of the lower teams of Scotland, which I assume Angus Thurgate, that's kind of more where he'd be heading. Um, but could, I'd could also be an say. Could H-E-A-R-T-S, uh, <laughs> boy. I mean, uh, I'd also say. It, I'll tell you what it says. I don't know. Is that, is that the song or it's, something it's that they song, sing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Shout out Hearts. Uh, shout out the city of Edinburgh. Edinburgh, by the way, uh, having the Fringe Festival on at the moment, which looks awesome. And people on my Instagram are having a great time over there. Also Edinburgh having a bin man strike. And people, the bin men are refusing to take the bins for 11 days. 11 Ooh. days of rubbish piling up. So good luck uh, to the people of Edinburgh. 
Um, yeah, I can't remember actually what point I was going to make uh, regarding uh, – well, just Rogic, he stood out. He stood out because he was one of the few creative midfielders there. Um, and he was very. Successful. And he also played for the team that had about eighty percent of the ball yeah. in most of the games. Yeah, every so. single game. Yeah. Um, Elijah asks uh, via Twitter question right now: Who would be the twenty-six people you would take to Qatar for the Socceroos? I feel like that's another pod. I feel like before the um, the team gets announced, we can kind of go through. But you know, it'd be a, it'd be a tough case to take Luongo and these players that we're talking about who aren't playing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see obviously the transfer window shuts in, I think, uh, 10 days or 11 days from now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that, but look, we've come to one hour 46. Josh, have you had a good time tonight? I, I've had a sensational evening actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a lot of airtime for us too. Sometimes we get, uh, we get drowned out, but, yeah. uh, tonight, uh, able to come to the fore and uh, and uh, shine in the spotlight. So uh, yeah, good fun. <laughs> Look, I hope I hope the uh, the viewers, the listeners uh, had a great time. Please, uh, if you don't already, uh, subscribe to us uh, on all you know podcasts and blah. Subscribe to us on multiple. Even if you just use one podcast app, download another podcast app and subscribe to us there because it'll boost our numbers. Give us five stars as a rating. If you don't like us, still give us five stars. And then leave a comment explaining why you don't like it. Because I know people don't read the reviews. And if they just say, oh, this has got five, it's got a million five-star ratings, it can't be wrong. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. You if know. you don't like us and you're still watching at the one hour, 47, 30 yep. mark, uh, I think you actually might like the show. So, Yeah, hate watch. <laughs> hate watch. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a service we can provide too. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll take your eyeballs as long as I have your attention. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Um, Josh, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, fans and, and people who engaged in the comments, uh, thank you so much for being the third co-host of the evening. Uh, thank you to Joey who uh, tuned in for about five seconds at the airport. Um, Run their memes says it's a hate watch at this point. Men, you're you made the opening credits and the closing credits. All right, hey, like, I hate watching is a powerful thing, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you're hate creating at this point. You're you're <laughs> you're part of the production. Hirado says I had an adequate time. Uh, mm. I'm glad. Look, Hira- you know, Hirado. I mean, give us a little bit. There's two of us tonight. Hey, he's right? a we're, he's we're a Brisbane Raw fan. Yeah, I think an true. adequate time is about as good as you can hope for at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a, contrasting to the Brisbane Roar experience. Uh, there's a thanks, fellas, uh, there. D- Geraldo would recommend this podcast to uh, 34% <laughs> of his friends. <laughs> this podcast has no uh, outstanding 34% of TNC listeners way. recommend it to our prospective podcast fans. Um, hey, uh, we'll be back. Someone's asked Lazar11, when's Gerardo on the pod? Whenever he wants... Um, but open invite, open, open invite, invite. but also his comments. We need we need quality in the comments. Um, so we you know we need kind of it's like an important position. So he always kind of provides really quality comments. So that, that's an important position for Lockie Flanagan. On the other hand, good on the show. Sometimes good in the comment section. When I'm with him in the comment section, I feel I feel we have a good tandem. Gets lost when he starts criticizing me there. So, but congratulations to Lockie uh, for making his Paramount Plus debut. I, I need Teraldo to come on so I can confirm or deny my secret suspicion that it's he, he's actually an Ante Jukic burner. So. Oh. That. That's my conspiracy theory. But 
I, I do like that conspiracy theory. Um, Josh, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, everyone, tune in next week, 7.30. Uh, we don't know who will be on. Uh, you know, probably Vince Regari. He promises every week. Uh, he <laughs> then pulls out, whether it's because he's busy or because uh, the lawyers have recommended that he does. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, open invite as well, uh, friend of the show. Um and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be back next week. I'm not sure what we'll be discussing. Uh, I guess Australia Cup more more signings. We'll see where the Socceroos players um, have ended up. Uh, but yeah, have a great time. Uh, enjoy your week. Enjoy your football. Uh, and we'll see you next week. We all know the real reason.